This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Golden Edge listeners. I want to take 30 seconds to introduce you to a new podcast from the View Journal called Critical Condition, Accounts from 1 October. It's a five-part series sharing the powerful stories of two Las Vegas officers who responded to the scene of the 1 October shooting on the Las Vegas Strip. You can find it wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. Just search Critical Condition Accounts from 1 October or visit ReviewJournal.com backslash podcasts for more information. Now, on to Golden Edge. Golden Edge, presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. What is up, everyone? Golden Edge podcast time. Thank you guys for tuning in. Trying to let you know everything that's going on in the Golden Knights world right now. And there's a lot of good things happening off the ice and uh, getting back to close to full strength on the ice. We'll get into all of that here. Ben Goats, Dave Shane, who covered the team here for the RJ. Uh, We'll let you know everything going on. Adam Hill, back with it. It's been a while, but I'm uh, glad to be back with you guys. So thanks for letting me hang out today. Appreciate the that. Golden Knights are back at full strength, and we're back at full strength, baby. That's a good. That's a good tie-in. I like that. Uh, make sure you guys listen, subscribe, share. I guess if you're listening, you're already doing that right now. But share, subscribe, comment, all those things you do with your podcast anywhere you find it. And uh, I think you guys know Golden Edge Podcast presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. So let's jump right into it, guys. And the Golden Knights had one of their worst performances ever, followed by a very, very solid performance. There's maybe some situations that played into that. Uh, but we'll get into how they're playing on the ice. First of all, the news came at practice. And we had Alex Tuck, Nate Schmidt, Malcolm Subban all back on the ice. I think that's a very welcome sign for Golden Knights fans. Yeah, I think that's called an injury bingo when you get three out of three back. Because Alex Tuck came out first and, you know... All the assembled media, they're like, oh, okay, he's back, he's back. Everyone tweeted out. Then Malcolm Subban came on the ice and was like, oh, two out of three, two out of three. Are we going to get this? Are we going to get this? Are we going to get this? Then Nate Schmidt stepped on the ice. Injury bingo, three for three. All of them in full contact jerseys, too. No non-contact. It looks like, I would assume, all three would be ready to go Thursday against the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, Malcolm Subban, go, might just be be the backup again because Marc-Andre Fleury... Uh, it's pretty much still on just an absolute heater right now. But, I mean, this is obviously welcome news for the Golden Knights anyway. They have not been at full strength, obviously, the entire year because Tuck got hurt in the preseason. Nate Schmidt got injured like less than four minutes into his season. So they've been shorthanded basically this whole time. They're still 8-5, and five, a pretty decent record. But they could definitely use both of those guys, I think. At the risk of you know ruining your analogy by taking it too far, which one is the free space? Like, was there one that we just assumed was happening? I mean, Subban, we figured because he never went on IR, so I guess he'd kind of be the free space. He was day-to-day, but he was also day-to-day for like two weeks, <laughs> right. so what is time anyway? 
But I guess I think he would be the one that you would give <laughs> right. that one to. So if we, we see these guys back on the ice, which obviously is a welcome sign for fans, and we expect them to be back on the ice and in the lineup here very shortly. Uh, I guess which one is the most important to the Golden Knights going forward? I think we can maybe eliminate Malcolm Subban, although I think he's very important in terms of you know having some confidence in the backup goaltender to get Fleury some rest. But Schmidt and Tuck both coming back, uh, which one's more important to the Golden Knights going forward? I would say in the short term, Nate Schmidt, I think you can make an argument for Alex Tuck because they haven't gotten squat out of that third line yet. Like, have they even scored a goal? Like, I know Eakin hasn't scored a goal. Piri obviously had, like, Eakin I don't think, have a point. I don't think their third line, you know, as a third line, you know, five on five or whatever, has scored a goal. So Tuck would certainly, you know, add a strong four checker. I'm really interested to see him with glass. And Glass being a playmaker and kind of what the possibilities are. I don't know about the other end of the ice with that crew. Um, but all that being said, I think it's Nate Schmidt kind of for that reason, because of the other end of the ice. Um, because that's where, in the, especially in the five losses, where the problems have been. That That's the most glaring is is on defense. And, and now if you bring Nate Schmidt back, all of a sudden you can kind of get their defense pairs back where you probably want them. Things start to look a little, you know, closer to the way that they probably drew it up in the summer. It's kind of like the situation last year where you missed 20 and everybody said, okay, well now everybody's in the right spot. It feels like when Nate Schmidt comes back, that's kind of, everybody goes back to the right spot. Yeah. And I just think they miss his puck moving ability. I mean, Dave, we've talked about it a lot over the last couple of games. They just struggle to get out of their own zone at times right now, especially against good teams. I mean, the Colorado Avalanche loss, it looked like the Avs were playing keep away. I mean, it was like a peewee drill where the Avs just wouldn't get rid of the puck and they would just trap the Golden Knights in their own zone. And the Knights couldn't get out of it. And that's something that Schmidt could really help them with, just getting out of their own zone in a timely fashion because right now it's taken them a while to get out of their defensive zone at times, which means the forwards are gassed when they finally do get out of the zone. They dump the puck. They change right away so there's no offensive zone possession or time at all. And that just leads has a cascading effect that's not good for the Knights. It's obviously been fine at times this year, but at times they've really missed Schmidt because of that defensive zone pressure they're facing, and he could really help them out with that. I went back and watched the Colorado game and just kind of like almost on fast forward, but just Are kind you of a looking masochist? for a little bit, I guess. Yeah, okay. Well, I wanted to see. It felt like there were stretches where Colorado just had them pinned in in their own zone, like Ben like you were just talking about, because they couldn't get it out. They, they either didn't have a defenseman who could just skate it and kind of create something and just do it, you know, themselves, or they would make that first breakout pass and just get swallowed up, and, and they couldn't either chip it out or they couldn't hit a center who was, like, swinging through. Just, it was constant. Even if they got it to the blue line, the Avalanche were able to hold it in. It happened so often, and it felt like it's been happening more and more where that breakout just hasn't been... We've talked so much about the forecheck and all of that. They haven't been able to get out of their own zone. You can't forecheck if you're pinned in your own zone. And I totally agree with you. Theodore is the only one that kind of remotely is, is a puck mover, I guess, in, in everything that that sort of encapsulates. And Schmidt is too. Schmidt's the one guy especially, um, maybe even more so, I think, than Theodore. Yeah, maybe that's debatable. But who will take it and just skate with it. Skate it out of trouble. You know, if if he has to, that's the one thing Schmidt can do. He, he knows when to kind of use his wheels like that. I think Theodore's better at it, 
but they haven't really had anybody back there that can just turn, go get the puck, and and move it quick, smartly, you know, and then get everything back going the other way. He, that, that's been their biggest struggle. He's their most well-rounded defenseman. I don't think it's particularly close. Obviously, Theodore is a fine skater, but then other than that, you've had f- kind of five guys a night back there that are, none of them are great skaters. Like Braden McNabb is fine skating backwards, and but he's not a guy that's going to escape trouble. Same with John Merrill. Nick Holden maybe a little bit, but... You know, he's fine. He's not great at it. Then you've got two rookies and Jake Bischoff and Nick Hag, the latter of which, Hag, you really have questions about his skating and how it's going to hold up. So they've just invited pressure in and they haven't been able to hit kind of the release valve. And Schmidt is 100% the release valve. You get the puck to him and he'll figure out a way to get you out of trouble. And that's something that they're kind of missing right now. SDN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to $50. I guess the the question I would have, and, and you know, Schmidt helps solve it a little bit, but we heard Bruce Cassidy talk about this a couple weeks ago that exactly kind of what we're talking about here of they're, without Schmidt, it's a little bit difficult for them to get it out of the zone, so you can capitalize on that. They forced some turnovers, and they made the Golden Knights look pretty bad in that game. We saw Colorado really take advantage of that as well. So when we're pointing these things out, um, I guess not every team was able to, to exploit it. It showed up a lot, but not every team was able to exploit it. Is that just is that a game plan that teams didn't execute, or is that just some teams aren't good enough to do it? I also think the Bruins and the Avalanche are two of the best right. teams in the NHL, that, so that helps. At. Right, so what I would actually add, though, is I think that seems to be a little bit of the anecdote, the kryptonite. Um, it felt like the first year, the way that you beat the Knights was to kind of clog everything up, slow it down, not let them get their speed going and whatever. What it feels like right now that the Knights have trouble with are the teams like Boston, Colorado, Arizona, Nashville to some extent. Um, that basically I'll use, I think I've said this before, I'll use the basketball term. You press the pressing team, right? Well, I mean, the Knights want to go and forecheck and play fast and whatever. And if you've got a team that can kind of out outbuzz them a little bit and, and out forecheck them and kind of do what they want to do, to the Knights, they don't like it. Um, you're an MMA guy, Adam. It's a little bit of that, you know, some people don't like to get punched in the face sort of thing, you know. I mean, yeah, you take some it people figuratively. Need, some people need space, and some people can't handle, like, the pressure right in their face that they, don't, they can't really handle I, did, I feel like that game gives the Knights problems, more so than the sit-back, clog the neutral zone game, you know. I, I feel like that's the kryptonite for them right now. But not every team can do it. Not every team has that, that speed and kind of that go, go, go pace. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Well, we'll see, uh, you know, the, the lineup closer to full strength and see how long uh, it takes to kind of gel a little bit. And I, w- I do want to follow up on on the tuck aspect of this because you talked about the third line. How how quickly can or do you expect to see a third line uh, for either of you that that is, I guess, for lack of a better word, competent because it really hasn't been to that level just yet? And and will it be? Because there will there will be we expect some defensive liabilities from, you know, adding the offensive uh, element to that line. Uh, will the Golden Knights be okay with that trade-off of production for maybe uh, not as good of defense, defensive help? Yeah, I'm really curious to see how they'll line it up. It kind of looked like in practice uh, yesterday that they were returning Tuck to his natural right-wing position, whereas they kind of tried a Eakin-Tuck glass line in the preseason where glass was at right-wing and Tuck was at left. And so we'll see how they kind of configure it and whether that helps because if Tuck's on the left side, well, then you got two guys playing out of position 
with Tuck and then Cody Glass, who's already a center that's being moved to wing. And then I guess if you put Tuck on the right wing, you're just putting Cody Glass in a doubly awkward position where he's on his off wing when he doesn't normally play wing. I mean, they've really kind of, not to say they've punted, but they've sacrificed uh, five on five with that line all year just because Cody Glass hasn't been that great five on five. I think we've said that he still deserves to be on this team, and I still believe that because he's been phenomenal on the power play and really added a dimension to that second power play unit they did not have before. But in order to get that offensive production on the power play, you're sacrificing stuff five on five. And so now we'll kind of see whether Tuck gives that a boost. I'm not very confident in what we saw with kind of the Tuck-Eakin partnership last season down the stretch. Once Mark Stone was acquired and Tuck moved down a line, that didn't inspire a lot of confidence for what they're going to do moving forward. But they need something because, like I said, Cody Eakin has zero points right now. Like, you have literally gotten nothing out of that line since he's come back. And so that's got to change. Like, you just can't have a black hole kind of in your lineup if you want to do what the Knights want to do. How's Eric Howell doing? In Carolina, pretty good. Pretty heard, well. He's cooled off a little bit, goals. but not that that would happen. It's just I know that there's a lot of fans out there that are looking at the production and saying, "Oh, that would be nice to have." He's doing better than Nikita Gusev, though, uh, right? That, that is healthy fair. scratch today, Nikita Gusev. Fun fact. Uh, yeah, they don't seem thrilled uh, with his all-around play. He scored a couple of goals, but uh, certainly the numbers don't bear out that uh, he's having much of an impact on the ice uh, up in New Jersey. Uh, well, we also mentioned Malcolm Subban. Uh, he's going to have, you know, he's going to have to get some time. Uh, for you know, Florida to get some rest here coming coming forward, but the concerns are growing. Of you know, Malcolm Subban never seems to stay healthy, and in this case, he got to play twenty minutes. I know one of the things he talked about yesterday was I wanted to get off to a, you know a good start. I felt like I was getting off to a good start this year, and all of a sudden you're hurt and you go down for a couple weeks, and it feels like months since you've played. Uh, is the is the injury prone label fair at this point for Malcolm Subban? Kinda. I mean, he keeps getting hurt, right? He got hurt twice the first year, got hurt last year. I thought this year, I mean, it's kind of fluky. I mean, the guy kind of fell on him. I mean, we don't know 100% that's what happened, but, you know, it sure looked like it in that Arizona game that, you know, he got kind of Merrill, I think it was Schmaltz that got knocked into him and his leg was kind of in a exposed, a little bit awkward position. And, you know, he looked like he kind of tried to fight through it and then, they scored like kind of 10 seconds later. You can kind of see Subban not really getting across the creek. Like, I mean, I don't know that he was going to stop it anyway. But anyway, uh, point being, that's different than, say, if he had like exploded across the crease and hurt his groin or hamstring or something like that. But, I mean, it just always seems to be something with him, right? First year was like he, like something with his finger or whatever, you know, like, the street guy falls on him. I mean, yeah, it's bad luck, but, you know, it's kind of hard to say he's not, right? He just hasn't been available at all the times you want your backup goaltender available for. I mean, it's such a cliche in hockey and other sports, like the best avail- or the best ability is availability, but there it's really go. true. I was worried I about that one. There. I tried so it's hard. Good. Uh, but if, you know, you're the Golden Knights and you want to play your backup to get Marc-Andre Fleury some rest, you need your backup to be available because I think, we saw, and obviously Dave had a spectacular rant about this the other day, like they are gun shy with Oscar Dansk and a little bit with Garrett Sparks, it feels like right now. Like they do not trust those guys or seem to have a great plan of how to utilize those guys to the best of their ability. They, I think, want Malcolm Subban to be their backup. And I think their kind of stated goal entering the season is we want to 
play him more to not only see what we have in him, but to give Marc-Andre Fleury more rest. I mean, Bruce Cassidy talked about it uh, with ESPN the other day where just like that's something they've focused on so, so much with Tuka Rask as he's aged is it's not fair to him or us to have him play 65 games anymore. We think he's best when he gets rest. And you saw that in the playoffs last year because Tuka Rask was unbelievable in helping the Bruins get to the Stanley Cup final. Now their backup, uh, Halak, is a little bit better, I think, than Malcolm Subban. But if that's something that the Bruins are focusing with an older goaltender in Tuka Rask, that's something that the Knights should probably be focused on too. And they haven't been able to really focus on that so far because they haven't trusted the backups because Malcolm Subban has been in there. And now Flurry's played 12 or 13 games. So you mentioned Garrett Sparks. He's gone. Uh, Nick Waugh, gone. Nick Hague, gone. Jake Bishop, gone for now. Uh, we'll see what develops with this roster. But uh, is this a... I guess it's not fair to say it's an indication that they're kind of holding off on the youth movement, but for right now, a lot of the rookies are gone. I would say it's temporarily, when you look at like Chicago's schedule, Chicago Wolves, they played Tuesday, they played Wednesday. We're recording Tuesday, so and, just point that out. And they play in Tucson, so pretty easy flight, not too far. You know, you can squeeze a couple more games out of them, you can take advantage of the fact the Knights have three days off, basically, before... You know the Halloween extravaganza <laughs> against uh, against Montreal. Can't wait to see the costumes. Are by you the way. are you wearing a costume to the game? Ah, on Thursday? Well, I don't know. I might I might have to do something. I can probably just you know like put on a hoodie and my jacket and go as Leonard Hofstetter. I, I probably have <laughs> okay, that look close. right. Yeah, that's good. You know, that's probably easy. Enough. I could probably pull that off. Do people know? I mean, the, uh, do people know it's from what that's from? It was like the top-rated show of like know, whatever, I f- right? I feel like nobody watches television anymore. I remember if, like a while ago I went as the – so he's the Sprint guy now. Okay. He used to be the Verizon guy. Yeah, okay. Because, you know, I kind of – kind of kind I don't know. He's probably a better-looking guy than I am, but I could almost pull off the <laughs> Verizon fair. guy. That's pretty close. It's good, good stuff. Ben, are you wearing a costume on Thursday? You know, I got my costuming out of the way already. Uh, my lovely girlfriend and I went as uh, two characters from Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I saw that. It was well done. Thank you. I, I tried real hard, you know. Uh, I just had to wear a Hawaiian shirt and try to act like Brad Pitt, which I try to do in most of my life anyway, unsuccessfully. <laughs> we saw uh, Eric Halla last year terrify us with that lion uh, costume that we've we've shown on videos here at the RJ, and it's horrifying. This year he went uh, Tin Man which was uh, fairly impressive. I just actually saw in the last uh, couple hours William Carlson and his uh, lovely girlfriend post their photos as a Joker and uh, Harley Quinn, which was it was pretty intense. Which they were mishmashing DC movies, I have to point out. She was Suicide Squad Harley Quinn, and he was Heath Ledger's The Dark Knight Joker, not the Suicide Squad Joker. Mm. So I'm just saying I there's a little inconsistency. This is the kind of hardcore nerddom that I will call out when I see it, just like it would transition into the game before. When Ryan Reeves called the video game, he liked to play Duck Hunter. And I was like, no, it's Duck Hunt, Ryan. Everyone who's ever held a gun to a TV knows that. Okay, first of all, did you really do that, you cheater? I didn't. You, you, okay, you didn't do it. I did not okay. hold the gun. All right, I'm making sure. I had a really crummy gun. I had to get real close. Uh, that, don't like, make that not excuse. on the screen, but I had to get close. All right. Now, how about did you, when you use the power pad, did you get off and use your hands to do it? Oh, no. Or did you actually run? No, I actually ran with that one. Okay. Now, Ben, I think Ben might be a little too young for the power pad. Did you ever have that? No. I was at a friend's house. 
Oh, okay. It was the power pad was amazing. Like you could play track and field. You can actually I was gonna run. say track and field was. That was great. Yeah. But the problem usually was that the pad would like munch up. So it wasn't. It didn't. If you try to go too fast, it would just. It would not really work as well as it should. So I mean, that's that's, that's unfortunate. why it kind of went out pretty quickly. I think. Yeah. So Ryan Reese did call it Duck Hunter. I, I wasn't very happy with that, but uh, we'll have to deal with that down the road at some other point. Uh, that was uh, after the Ducks win, which followed the. Colorado loss, uh, two very big extremes. Now, you can also point out, listen, it was a bad spot that the Ducks were in. They had just played in Colorado the night before at altitude and then played an early game here in Vegas the next day. Uh, but still, they they went out and did what they had to do. They jumped on them early, uh, answered the early goal, and bounced back with three and just kind of took it to them from there after getting trounced by Colorado. So I guess how would you evaluate this week of complete extremes? Yeah, it's fascinating. I just think the Knights, obviously without Schmidt, are still kind of figuring out who they are, what they're going to do. I mean, we know the top six is going to be really good. I mean, once again, I mean, Stasny, uh, Stone, and Pacioretty were just ridiculous against the Ducks in terms of the their possession numbers were off the charts. We know they're good. Marc-Andre Fleury has been outstanding to start the season. And then we've already talked about the blue line has kind of been a little bit of an adventure but they've been banking points. I mean, they're eight and five. 16 points is definitely not bad. And the fact that they've survived this well without Schmidt compared to how they did last year, I think is p- positive for them. As Dave said, they've kind of been outworked, outclassed a little bit so far with some of the teams that are kind of in the upper echelon of the NHL. But once they get healthy, they'll have a chance to kind of take on those teams again and see how they do. For now, I think they're getting by, and they're getting by pretty well. So my biggest takeaway was how good Colorado is, especially if Colorado gets goaltending. That's a really good team when healthy. They didn't even have Ranton. Did not have Ranton, and they're not going to have Landeskog. And they for absolutely a bit. like. I mean, they just dismay. That was systematic. Like, okay, yeah, we'll let you in the game, and then we're going to score late in that first period, and then we're going to come out in the second period and just basically step on you. And, and and make you question yourself. Because there was a lot of questioning themselves in that Knights locker room after that Colorado game. I think a lot of that just had to do with how good Colorado is. After 13 games, it's funny, it's the other day or yesterday, I was watching a NHL Network, and they do a lot. They talk about the Maple Leafs. And it's very interesting to hear the narrative right now around a team like the Maple Leafs. And there's a lot of questions about effort in playing for themselves versus playing for the team. And there's been some some moments where some guys have taken some hits and there hasn't been somebody to like step in and, and it's a little old school thinking, but there's some people questioning that team. And I don't have any questions like that about the Knights. A lot of my questions are just, they just, it feels like they just know they're good. It feels like they, they, they had some games where they felt like their talent was going to get them through it. That, ah, this team's plucky. Yeah, they're playing good tonight, but we know we're good. Well, it'll eventually take over. And it didn't in, in, in a couple games. And they got, like Nashville, they got swallowed up that game. Nashville's a really good team. And I think part of that was the Knights realized, you know, okay, we can't necessarily just get into a back and forth. We're good, but... Maybe this team is a little better equipped for that style. Who are we? What do we have to do? 
sometimes you got to get smacked in the mouth a little bit. You have to take a 6-1 loss to go, okay, maybe we can't play like that, you know? You have to take a 5-2 loss at home to Nashville. You have to get, you know, I think the Philly game is a little bit of an aberration because no offense, I'm putting that game a lot on Oscar Dansk, but a lot of that was them just not playing well and probably thinking, eh, Philly's not playing well. You know, we're cool. And you can't just think, ah, you're cool in the NHL because before long, you end up in a spot, in a hole where you can't dig out of it. All that being said, like you like you mentioned, now they're eight and five. So I don't I don't have a lot of those questions. I think once they figure things out and they say, like you said, Ben, just their identity, and they say, okay, this is what our blueprint blueprint for success is. We have to play like we did against Anaheim. We have to play humble. We have to play blue collar, even though we're a talented team. And I think once they start to consistently feel that and see that. You know, then you'll start to see them run some some wins together because we haven't even seen more than a two game win streak yet. It's been very up and down. It's been a kind of a roller coaster of a season so far, not just kind of in the results, win loss, win loss, but just even in the way they play. Because like Dave said, they've had some games. I mean, the Ottawa Senators game comes to mind where I mean they put a bunch of shots up, but they're kind of hanging in tight there with the team that they had no business hanging in there tight with, at least on the scoreboard. But they eke out a win, and it maybe covers up some of the larger issues they have going on. Same with the Chicago Blackhawks. They're losing one nothing the majority of that game, but Nick Holden manages to take a great pass from Mark Stone, tie the game, win in a shootout, get the full two points, and so you're feeling good about yourselves, even though you probably shouldn't feel good about that effort. And so I think that's something that I think the Avalanche game helped them realize they're going up, down, up, down, but eking out some results that were, you know, more positive than not. And then finally, they kind of had a rock bottom where I think a lot of players said after, like, that's just not us and that can't be us if we're going to do what we're going to do. And so a lot of kind of the creeping issues that we've addressed on this podcast before all of a sudden got pushed to the forefront because all of a sudden they had this shocking loss where they did deal with. And as Gallant said, like, look in the mirror and realize this can't be what we're going to do. After that's pretty much what Mark Stone said flat out was, We've been kind of getting away with it for four or five games. Our goalie's been bailing us out. It's been kind of masking, I guess, all of their issues. And, you know, you can get away with it against Chicago. You know, I, I don't know that they necessarily got away with it against Pittsburgh, but, you know, they got away with it kind of against Ottawa, like Ben pointed out. You can't get away with it against Colorado. Like, they're too good right now. So we'll see if that wake-up call lasts more than one game, or if they can uh, start to find some consistency. Certainly the health will help as some of these players uh, get back into the lineup, but we'll find out, as you said, they haven't really put together a winning streak yet this year. So uh, we'll see if now's the time to do it a couple of days off and then some home games. So uh, the Golden Knights are in a spot with the guys coming back uh, to start to play more how they want to. Well, that will do it for us with the Golden Edge. Uh, Ben Goats, Dave Shane, myself, Adam Hill. We thank you guys for listening. Make sure you check out all of the coverage uh, at ReviewJournal.com. Follow along with the Golden Edge, the videos, the podcasts, uh, all the stories from out uh, at practice and at the games with the Golden Knights. Uh, We will talk to you guys again very soon. Make sure, as we said, to like, subscribe, comment, share, all of those things that you do with your favorite podcast. Tell your friends. Uh, what we're doing over here with the Golden Edge podcast, which is presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. 
Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.